Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so bad the reports of its death are highly anticipated. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you on a cold morning. Yeah, cold still. More on that in a minute. Uh, On this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show and pipe parts, well, I've got a new process for uh, rubbing out flake tobaccos. New process. We're going to talk about that. And then my guest is uh, Fred Hanna, Doctor of Pipes, Ph.D. in uh, Psychology, Professor of Psychology, a whole bunch of other titles, author of the book The Perfect Smoke, which is available on uh, Amazon. Uh, but uh, So Fred and I sat down, and we cover some different topics, and more before that, more before that kicks off. But that's our, Fred's my guest. Uh, music mailbag and a special rant that I want you all to stay that I want you all to stay uh, stay tuned all the way to the end for because uh, this is going to be a bit of a theme going on. All right, yeah, a bit of a theme. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been cold here. It's been cold here. Snow on the ground still uh, going on eight nine days of snow on the ground. So that meant that means hey, I work from home, so I've been out of the house twice in uh i don't know nine days yeah (laughs) twice both times to go to the market all right and uh if you want to have some fun go back and uh, go to the virtual pipe club and listen to uh, my visit uh the first saturday of january i think yeah uh listen to them because i i had a revelation and that's going to kind of set the course for the show for this year so the revelation that i had was last year was kind of the year of the pipe smoker where I had a lot of just pipe smokers on. We had a uh, seven experts series, then we had the seven questions for novices, and it was really fun for me to get to meet and know people that I hadn't met before, uh, get a little bit deeper with the seven experts, and revisit with some people. So it was kind of the year of the pipe smoker. Well, this year, going forward and kind of kicking off with this discussion here with Fred, uh, we're going to go deeper. And these are a little bit more uh, long story format, you know, less question and answer kind of things, more heavy discussions. I've been working with uh, a uh, pipe smoker who started smoking in the 1950s, just telling his stories. So We'll have the uh, we'll have the regular you know the 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 new interesting and uh, tobacconist and you know pipe makers and stuff like that. But this year I really want to work on going deeper. So we start that off with uh, with the Fred Hanna stuff today. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. 
Missouri Meersham, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, for pipe parts, you know, rubbing out a flake tobacco. Uh, this has been a bone of contention for me, for me for years. All right, I yeah, I I don't like I, I I'm not the type of pipe smoker that wants to rub out each bowl of tobacco one at a time as I'm getting ready to smoke it. That's usually not my speed. My speed is. I want a ribbon cut, and I want it all packed. Uh, you know, I want it all nice and loose, and I want to pack the bowl and go. Uh, normally, if I have a flake tobacco, what I like to do with it is rub it, you know, sit down with the tin, open it up, let it dry down a little bit, rub it out completely, pick out all the stems, pick out all the clumps. I mean, we're talking a 15, 20-minute process, usually, of getting it all rubbed out. And then I put it back in the tin, and then I go about smoking it. Or if I'm smoking a bulk flake, yeah, I'll pull off a piece and rub it out and use one of my little tobacco pouches or my, uh, my uh, pocket jar. Uh, and that's the process that I go through because I am not the type of pipe smoker that wants the tobacco in a flake and wants to sit there and rub it out individually and then pack it and go. I want to rub it out, let it dry down get it to the moisture that I want it, and then pack it back in a tin. So I had been working on and looking for a way to do a, uh, you know, to do in bulk a fairly quick way of rubbing out a good flake tobacco. And I know that, you know, most of the, most of the premium tobaccos that we smoke in ribbon form were pressed into a flake at one point, and then they were spun out is what the process is called on the tobacco side that spinning out process is done with tumblers or dull, you know, a mixing chamber and some heat and steam and it breaks up the cakes uh, you want it in the cakes first because it helps with the aging and the marrying of the multiple uh, the multiple uh, components of the blend but sometimes you just want a flake cut uh, sometimes you want a flake, sometimes you just want a ribbon cut. Uh, so I was, you know, I was trying to work on some ways here at home to do this. I was taking tobacco and putting it in a very, uh, in a very firm, uh, you know, a very thick freezer style plastic bag and sealing it with a little bit of moisture in there and then tumbling it in the dryer for five, 10 minutes trying to get it. I, I tried a couple of different things. And then I talked to a couple of the old tobacco people that uh, didn't want to come on the show um, and I talked to the old tobacco people and one of them suggested a microwave yeah so what you do is you take the you take the flake tobaccos that you have and put it in a container that is microwave safe but still sealed and microwave it for a determined amount of time and this is where it gets tricky is to figure out what the right amount of time is for each flake product. So like a, a, a more dense pressed flake you know, needs a little more time, less dense needs less time, uh, a crumble cake, you know, you, you got to figure out, you got to fine tune it. So I've been playing around with that. Now, here's what I did. I went out and I bought the 
least expensive small microwave I could, brand new. Uh, I was advised to get a brand new one because you don't want any existing food odors in the uh, in the microwave. And I set it up in the garage because you don't want to run it and have it exhaust, have the air coming out of it exhaust into the house because you may get some tobacco aroma. Uh, so I did that and I'm fine tuning depending on the blend and depending on the style of blends like a McClellan flake is different than a HH old dark fired flake is different than an Orlick golden slice flake. You know, each factory has their own different levels. Uh, the Sutliff crumble cakes, I'm playing around with those. I've yet to go after the Cornell and Deal uh, red, the, 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 the red flake with, uh, with Perique. Uh, I've yet to try any of that. But I'm trying to fine tune where that is. So you zap it in the microwave. Just for, for example, you, you zap it for 30 seconds uh, in a full flake form in its you know factory form and then you uh take it out and rub it out completely and it just tends to fall apart really nicely if you've got the right amount of time if you've gotten too much time on the microwave you got to let it cool down a little bit okay so too much time you got to let it cool down before you start rubbing it out uh to the best of my knowledge at this point you just want it to where it's really nice and warm in the hands you don't want any hot spots in it uh, but again if you get it hot you let it cool down and while it's warm it just tends to fall apart really nicely and really evenly in your hands uh, let it cool down a little bit and then I've been putting them back in the tin and allowing them to age and I'm trying to understand if the microwaving changes the flavor so far I've only done this with three different blends. I've only done a bowl or two of each one, and I really can't determine too much of a blend difference. But at the same time, I'm also leaving these that I'm working on, I'm leaving these to age in the tins, or in the case of the flat round guys, uh, in glass jars, so that they can calm down a little bit after being microwaved. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, brand new microwave. I think it was uh, $49. So uh, I will keep you updated as more comes up. All right. And now in just a moment, uh, discussions with Fred Hanna. This is Internet Radio. For over 150 years, Peterson has welcomed all pipe smokers. It's the preferred choice of the thinking man and the everyman alike. And our workshop too is a place of hospitality and warmth. Hi, I'm Glenn Whelan, and for me, Peterson is a family tradition I've known since my childhood. My dad, Tony Whelan Jr., worked at Peterson for 53 years and has been my home since 2003. From sweeping our factory on a Saturday morning, to managing our store, to now steering our international distribution, I've seen the craftsmanship poured into each Peterson pipe. It lives in Jason's discerning eye as he handcrafts our silver accents and in Wojciech's able hands as he carves our rustications. It abides in Willie's grading and in Warren's papering. Peterson has welcomed us as contributors to its legacy. And it's a welcome we always extend to you. Cade Mielefolge, 100,000 welcomes. Wherever you come from, whosoever you be. 
And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, so here's the uh, here's the background of this uh, of this new series, and I I don't know what to call this series. Is it two doctors dissing on pipes or uh, or a fun time with Fred? I'm not sure yet. But so uh, so Fred sent me a series of uh, a list of questions, twenty one of them, in fact, that he thought would be good choices for the. Uh, for a future, you know, good choices to pick from for a future seven questions for seven experts. Uh, now, we may still go and do that, but what I thought would be interesting was, you know what? Let's just let me and Fred sit down and go one-on-one -on -one discussion with these and let the conversation go. No form to it. Uh, no time restraints. If a question goes long, it'll be cut into two parts. If a question goes short, we'll put two questions in, into one into one episode. Uh, so that's what you're going to get. And this is the uh, first question. And this is the first of uh, two Doctor of Pipes just uh, chatting about pipes. The question that we're going to tackle now is, um, and you have it written down, I don't, but... Um, what are the factors that make a pipe cooler smoking than others? Is that kind of the basics of the question there, Fred? That is the, the essence of the question itself, yes. All right. So in your, uh, in your mind, which, you know, <laughs> I don't want to go in there too deeply because I'm afraid what we might find. Um, yeah, it's always scary. Yeah. yeah always, always scary, yes. Yeah. So what are the factors? What factors do you look for? What, what do you think makes a pipe cooler smoking? Well, here, here's, I've spent a long time uh, on this particular point, and this is what I believe currently. I think, first of all, the, in a general sense, the thickness of the walls um, are important because they will draw the heat uh, away from the burning tobacco, and the heat will literally be absorbed by the bribe. If the walls are thicker, then there will be more uh, absorption of the heat. And therefore, um, a cool smoke literally is when the tongue is met by smoke that is room temperature. That is about as cool as you're going to get. And if you were to write now, now or our listeners were right now to purse their lips, um, and just draw in a little air onto the tongue, it would be very, very cool. The coolest smoking pipes literally absorb all the heat from burning tobacco, and the smoke that arrives at the tongue is very cool. Now, sometimes I mention cool smoking pipes to people, and they don't talk about the, the temperature of the smoke. They talk about how hot is the pipe in the hand. I don't care about that. I want a cool smoke that's going to be very, very easy on the tongue. Why? Because it makes the tobacco easier to taste. And so I believe that, that uh, um, thick walls are, are a factor. I also have to say that I've had thick walls, uh, pipes with thick walls that don't absorb heat. So there's always exceptions. But by and large, if you have good wood, and it will absorb the heat and bring the temperature of the smoke down to uh, close to room temperature. 
That's one factor. Another factor, I believe, is a longer shank, not a longer stem, but a longer shank, because that shank will also absorb the heat as the um, smoke travels down the shank of the pipe. And so there'll be more time uh, for absorption. Now, having talked about absorption of heat, it's also important because sometimes you'll get um, a pipe that has thinner walls, but it doesn't absorb the heat. It dissipates the heat. It takes the heat and dissipates it. And that will bring about a cool smoke. So, you know, you can have a, a cool smoke without necessarily having thick walls. But by and large, as general rules, that's what I think. And it's not a stem. A stem, remembers an insulating material. Um, and that rubber will actually maintain the heat. It doesn't absorb the heat. And counterintuitively, briar is wood, and wood is usually an insulator. But for some reason, briar absorbs heat. It's the damnedest thing. So that's my take on it, Brian. There's a lot of ambiguity in there. But um, to me, one of the most important requirements of a good pipe is that it produces um, cool um, smoke. Not Remember, not surface temperature of the pipe, but the temperature of the smoke arriving at the top. What do you think, man? So let, let's let, let, let's start off with some biology. Um, first of all, the internal temperature of our mouths is about 98 degrees Fahrenheit. If it's colder than that, you might be dead. If it's hotter than that, you might be sick. So, you know, as long as the smoke enters at 98 to 100 degrees, you're really not going to notice a temperature change, right? I would suspect... Yeah, well, that's a long conversation, but I'm yeah. following you. Go ahead. Yeah. So you really don't have to cool the smoke down too much because, you know, you, you, you just don't want it coming out at 160 degrees at, out of the stem no, at you. That's, and that's what we're trying to avoid, yeah. yes, for sure. So I think, first of all, let me agree with you on the bowl walls because one of the measurements that I look for in my pipes is – at least a quarter inch of wood all the way around the tobacco chamber. Uh, yeah. And that's really hard to do with a Dublin, which is my favorite shape, uh, because you know, the Dublin, if it's done really well towards the bottom half of the bowl, some of those walls are starting to get pretty narrow. That's right. But, you know, again, so... So these are, you know, you are exactly right in saying that, you know, these are basic guidelines, but then there's exceptions to every rule. And I will, for a really good looking Dublin, I will allow that rule of, you know, the bottom half of the bowl is going to be narrower. That's just the way it is. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. But I do agree with you that a quarter inch of wood all the way around the bowl helps dissipate the heat of the tobacco chamber and by doing that by by letting it out somewhere it doesn't keep it in on the smoke and the smoke will be cooler um i think the best thing that a piece of briar can do is radiate that heat out which i think is one of the reasons why i lean towards and i know this is going to be hard for you to swallow but <laughs> 
I, yeah, I don't think I know it's coming. <laughs> I lean towards sandblasted pipes because they've got more surface area to allow the heat to radiate out to. They tend to be, uh, you know, you get a lighter, you get a lighter pipe, a lighter weighing pipe with the same kind of mass because some of that wood's been removed. Um, you know, I hate to say it, Mr. Perfect Straight Grain, but I think my sandblasted pipes in general smoke better than my smooth pipes do because they just you smoke. Mean, when you say smoke better, you mean smoke cooler. Smoke cooler and on top of that, and this will, I think this is a big effect, is... I think because they don't get as hot, they don't get as wet also. Uh, you don't get as much moisture in them as you do in a smooth, straight-grained pipe that you know doesn't have all that surface cooling going on and so on and so on. Um, you know, so, but that's, that's just me. Um, no, and, you know, look, man, uh, I remember... When I first got into the hobby, um, seriously, because uh, remember, well, you you wouldn't remember, of course, but I started this smoking um, pipes in '67. But I started to get into the hobby, the actual study of what's a good smoke, in '74. And I remember people telling me back then that sandblasted pipes uh, have more surface area to dissipate more heat. Etc. I had a conversation with Yes Conowitz about this very point um, because, you know, a lot of people have said, for example, Jimmy Cook's pipes, because the sandblasting is so exaggerated and so rough that there's that much more um, surface area to dissipate heat. Now, I've owned sandblasted pipes, um, and I have a couple actually right now. Um, and rusticated pipes. I don't notice a difference, but let me tell you what Yes Conowitz said. He said that him and Lars Everson once did an experiment where they took wood and literally cut deep slats into the wood, kind of like mm -hmm. what you would expect from those Porsche design um, pipes that you see here and there that, you know, are really big for collectors, but yeah. You, you can find them. Um, and they cut slats just for the sake of experimentation, deep slats with lots of surface area. And they wanted to see if these were going to smoke good, and neither of them could tell a difference. <laughs> yes, told me, yes told me this, I don't know, uh, at least 10 years ago at a Chicago show, maybe 06, 07, I don't remember. But... I asked him specifically, and he was in a very generous mood that, that day. He was answering all my questions, and I tend to get a little annoying sometimes when I um, no. ask questions. I know you would never believe that. No. Um, but I, I'm, a, I'm a curious guy, and um, so I thought that was interesting because he didn't believe that the sandblasting um, had any effect. And we will pause the question right here for this little break and be back in just a minute. Hi, I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell and Deal. 
We know pipe smoking is a personal journey. That's why our small team of blending and production experts take a personal approach in every step, preparing tobacco products just for you. We source top quality leaf through the personal connections we've made around the world, hand blend that leaf, and carefully package each tin. Each product, from special releases like our small batch line to our most popular mixtures like Autumn Evening, are made right here in South Carolina by professionals dedicated to providing the finest of smoking experiences. Lighting up a pipe is an exploration through evolving flavors, thoughts, memories, and even dreams. From our hands to yours, Cornell and Deal tobaccos are your passport for that voyage, provided by people who, like you, value the journey. And we are back, and we'll now continue with uh, me and Fred discussing uh, cooler smoking pipes. Now, and and on total another perspective, if you read Carl Lewa's book, 1974, you know, uh, on pipe smoking, which some people say is the best pipe book ever written, I believe it's on page 128. I couldn't, I could be wrong here. But he goes into a discussion about how straight grains are the smoke, the coolest smoking pipes, because the grain actually takes the heat up through the the straight grain and dissipates it all over the pipe. <laughs> and I think that it's a crack of shit personally, but it shows what kinds of opinions. I think it's the wood that has itself, mm-hmm. where it was grown, maybe a subspecies of briar, who knows. But I'm not convinced of the sandblasting um, uh, argument, Brian, but I do respect it. Now, I, I think on the wood side, I think it's much more, whether it's a straight grain or a sandblast, I think it's important that the wood was harvested and cured and treated properly than whether huge. it's a sandblast or a straight grain huge absolutely yeah. huge yes yeah and that can also and, that can also go back to the country of origin of the wood because there are, you know there are times and i don't think there's any times right now really where there's yeah you know, there's two or three real good briar harvesters and you know briar mills that people get most of their briar from but in the past, you might have had multiples, and some were just, you know, cheap and cheerful, running them out as fast as possible. And others were a little bit better and a little, a little more, took a little more concern in the processing of the briar. Exactly. And then there, there's another factor that may be involved with this as well. Um, briar grows in different kinds of soils. Mm-hmm. And the plants themselves have different, um, you know, they could be on a hillside, um, along a beach. You know, there's different soils like sandy soil, um, chalk soil, limestone soil, all these different variations. And I've talked to Reiner Barbie about this at length, actually, because this is something that interests him. Some of these places where briar grows will be very, very... um, how should we say, uh, healthy for the plant in terms of lots of water and lots of sunshine. 
but it could be like in the case of wine, yeah. you may want some of these um, briar roots, the burls, to grow where the, um, the plant is strained. There isn't a whole lot of water, so the ring grains will be very, very uh, much more tight, uh, tightly knit together like in a tree that grows where there's not much moisture. And what ends up happening there is that the briar effect might actually be more pronounced in terms of, of heat. I don't know this for sure, but I know those, those uh, pipes I have where the ring grains are very, very pronounced will um, have a different character than ordinary briar. And then let me say this real quick. I believe that maybe the age of the burrow itself might have something to do with this. Maybe beyond 40 years, maybe over 100 years, who knows, that briar may reach a certain maturity that um, changes the nature of the wood itself. I, I don't know, but there's lots of factors here to consider. Yeah, and the, and the ex... The, uh... I mean, the best explanation that I can come up with is that, you know, it is a natural grown product that is manipulated by humans. So humans are not perfect. Sorry, Fred. I hate to hate to burst your bubble on that. You know, professor of psychology. Okay, I'll get I'll, I'll get a Valium and get over it. Go okay. ahead. Uh, and then that's one of the reasons why I think, you know, for me in particular, the reason why I continuously cultivate and 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 uh, build my pipe collection is because you know you get pipes in that just outdo the other ones or you get some in and they're just not you know for some reason they just don't work as well as others that you have so you move them on uh, exactly there's exactly there's a bunch of variables but for me the basics are I start off with a manufacturer you know, a, a pipe maker or a brand that I know and have had success with. So that helps me, uh, that, that raises my level of success because I know their processes. I look for those dimensions of a quarter inch. Uh, you know, I've got my bowl size, which is, you know, tends to be the right size bowl for my comfort, which that's a whole nother subject that we'll probably get to, uh, but then I look for the, you know, then I look for the size and the shape, which is mainly for comfort. And is the is the pipe going to be comfortable in my hand? Uh, but as far as cool yeah. smoking, yeah, I've got some pipes with some thinner bowl walls, and I have to be careful with those. And I know that those are going to be for those are going to be less likely to be smoked on a regular basis. But I love looking at them, and I love the option yeah, okay. of them. So uh, that makes me want to ask you a question. Yeah. When you when you buy a pipe mm -hmm. and start to smoke the pipe, how big a factor is now I'm not talking about flavor of the of the pipe, you know, that the wood imparts or anything like that. How important to you, Brian, is the temperature of the smoke when it reaches your tongue actually being noticeably cool? How how important is that? to you on how you're going to evaluate that pipe. I'll turn it around because it's not whether it's noticeably cool, it's whether it's noticeably hot. Am I oh, getting okay. am I getting a hot direct stream? 
Um, oh, okay. I see. Yeah. Yeah. I, my, I smoke all day all, on most days. I smoke all day long on and off over a 12, 14 hour period. So I have to be careful with tongue bite, uh, oh, or, yeah. you know, yeah. tongue burn or overdoing it. Uh, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so my, my smoking, my normal smoking method is I puff on the pipe for five, 10 minutes. I set it down. I go about doing whatever I'm doing. And then I come back to the pipe 20, 30 minutes, half hour later. Yeah. I'm, I tamp and relight more than, more than most people. Yeah. Uh huh. I am not the person that sits down with the pipe and smokes it from start to finish on one match and, you know, and goes all the way yeah, down yeah. to a perfectly dry smoke. I'm the same as you go about well, not as I don't smoke as much as you, but, um, I don't, um, focus on being the one match bowl per bowl either. Go ahead. Yeah. So what I'm looking for is if I, uh, if I buy a pipe that I know is not in my normal dimensions of a quarter inch of wood and a tobacco chamber of, at least three quarters of an inch to four fifths of an inch. And then one and a half inches deep. If I know it's outside of that realm, if it's smaller than that, I know now that to start off with that, that pipe is more than likely going to get relegated to a, uh, to a breakfast pipe situation, or maybe just a, you know, something to, something to vary the taste of what I, of what I'm usually getting. And I know or you that would consider parting with it. Or if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out in that situation, you know, for example, in my, in my collection or in my smoking rotation, if I get too many small pipes or too many really big pipes, too many pipes that are outside my normal realm, uh -huh. I, I will evaluate the ones that I've got and say, okay, well, I don't need, uh, I don't need six, you know, Rich Esserman junior size pipes. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. need. I don't need six pipes sitting at a reclining chair and you know, you might be familiar with what happens to them. Um, I don't need that many <laughs> pipes that are just, you know, sit and hold with, hold with my hand. Okay. So, so I got a question for you mm -hmm. in terms of the diameter of the chamber itself. Yep. Okay. Like, you know, where you could have like one inch diameter is a huge, Bowl one and a quarter would be huge. Yeah. Speaking of Rich Esserman, he's got pipes with chambers that big. Then there are other chambers that are much, much more narrow. And like, for example, in a classic um, stack kind of uh, bowl shape, you know, in other words, tall. Yeah. My uh, my uh, Eltang pokers have a 0.7 inch tobacco chamber. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So do you think that the diameter of the tobacco chamber has an effect on the temperature of the smoke yes and and even worse it has an effect on the taste of the smoke yeah talk to me about that i want because i have some ideas about that too go ahead so okay. here's my theory on the on the diameter the wider the bowl is the easier it is to get a proper mixture of the blend of tobacco burning all at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So in your, uh, in your, uh, wilderness or legends or whatever the hell that name of that tobacco is, that's gone. Uh, 
both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Those are blends. Those are not one single leaf. For so, sure. So in order to get the blend done correctly, you have to have all the different uh, all all the different parts and pieces burning at the same time. Yep, I agree with you. So like with my Virginia Periques, my I think my blend that I smoke a lot of is like 17-18% Perique, although it's been aging for forever so the flavors are all mixed up, but when it was fresh, if you didn't get the blend right in the bowl, you might get a bowl that was either Perique heavy or Virginia heavy depending on where you pinched out of in the uh yeah, in the can or yeah. out of the pouch. So you yeah. want a good, you want a decent size tobacco chamber with, so that way you've got a better chance of getting a proper mixture. I agree. And so a lot of people say you should use a smaller bowl for Virginia's. And I modify that by saying that it can be a smaller bowl, but if it's more narrow and you're just smoking a, just a straight Virginia ribbon, you don't have to worry about the variation. Like, for example, yeah. wilderness tobacco has 12 different components, um, 12 of them. And <laughs> it's a very, very, very complex blend, like you said. And that requires a wider bowl so that you get, like you, like you said so well, a lot of room so that all the different components can burn simultaneously. Yep. But with a narrow bowl, or sorry, a narrow chamber, like you said, a 0.7, um, that would be for a tobacco that has maybe one or two components. And for me, it's just red, straight red Virginias um, work well in those kind of narrow bowls, just, for, just to me. And... So I think like, you know, I think we both agree the diameter of the chamber has an effect on the smoke. And it also has an effect on how you smoke it, because for me, the narrower bowls, like on my on my two Eltang pokers, which have a 0.7 bowl width or diameter, uh, uh -huh. I have to pull on the pipe softer than I do on my norm on my other pipes, because my same inhalation or drawing strength is used on a smaller area so that condenses the intensity of that which can cause those narrower bowls to overheat faster yeah uh, that's good point so there's good a point. there's a little bit of physics in there <laughs> yeah there's there's a ton of physics in there yeah there, see and for me if i get a bowl if i get a pipe that smokes too hot and even when I give it a little cake um, and it still continues to produce hot smoke, I don't care how pretty it is. I don't care how much. I mean, I've gotten rid of, of straight grains, Brian, that are just, I, I, you know, they're just shocking. Yeah. A jail bar straight grain. And because if it, that pipe doesn't smoke good, I don't even want to look at it. Now, I have a couple of pipes that do not smoke as well as I would want them to. And I, these are ones that I've bought, and I've and I keep them because I have a bit of an emotional attachment to them, or I keep them so that when I do smoke them, I know that you know I've got to remember 
yeah, th this isn't the pipe that I can just puff at the desk or puff on driving down the road. You want to talk about a whole special segment, you know, my thought process over a driving, a car, a car pipe. <laughs> um, um, uh, I've hurt myself trying to figure that out. And, you know, cause certain pipes that I have work better in the car, certain, yeah, so yeah, but I, I've, I've got some pipes here that I'm pretty sure, you know, are not the, they don't fit into my criteria of a really good smoking pipe, but I enjoy them because they are different. I've got some, uh, I've got an emotional attachment to them. Uh, I like the way they look and I've never needed the money that bad to where we needed to buy milk and toilet paper. So I've kept them. Yeah, I, I completely understand that. I'm not of the same persuasion. Um, I don't want to look at a pipe if uh, a, like, for example, I, I would get a poker shape now and then, which would fascinate me because a lot of pokers have really good straight grain. Mm -hmm. And but uh, I would find once I buy a poker, I never pick it up to smoke it because I just don't think the shape is very appealing. And so for me, uh, I know this is weird because we, you and I both know people who have well over a thousand pipes yeah. and they just don't give a damn about things like this, but I don't, I, I don't want a pipe in my collection that I'm not going to reach for or want to reach for and smoke it. Every pipe in my collection, I want to look at it and say, Oh yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I'm sure it's time to smoke that pipe. Um, and so I guess from that viewpoint, I'm very, very, uh, how should we say, more pragmatic in uh, what I keep in my collection than a lot of guys. I've run into the same problem, uh, your your problem with pokers. I've run into it with church wardens. Uh, <laughs> I believe that. Every, yeah. you know, every time I think of, oh, God, that looks great to get a big, long pipe and have it sitting there, and then i got to go buy special length pipe cleaners for it. <laughs> right. And then I got to remember right. to get the pipe cleaners, you know, out of the drawer when I'm going to go smoke it. And then I've got to try to figure out where the pipe is hanging in my mouth. And it's like, every time I've done that, it's just become too much work. No, I hear you, man. I got gotcha. you. Uh, I think the longest pipe I have right now is seven and a half inches. And I have, uh, well, right now here in the drawer, I think I've got, oh, yeah, one, two, three. I have four nine-inch pipe cleaners, so that's two more bowls with it, and then i got to buy more nine-inch pipe cleaners. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Yeah. See, and another thing, I, I, I should mention Tony Satterman, who, <laughs> you know, we, uh, you know, who uh, rest in peace, Tony, wherever you are. But he was a big, big um, proponent of the length of a shank yeah. um, affecting the coolness of the smoke. And I, th I thought I should throw him in there, just yeah. to be fair. Uh, I, was, I was a big fan of six, seven-inch Lavats and Canadians for the longest time. And, you know, I thought, all right, you know, long wood, short stem. That was my uh, <laughs> long yeah, wood, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, long straight pipe, short stem, perfect. I'm sold. Right. Uh, yeah, like the classic Costello 75 shape, for example. Yeah, I had three or four of them at one point. Uh, yeah. And then I think what happened is I learned how to smoke a pipe differently and how to, yeah, how to moderate. I got, 
I, I think in all, in, in all honesty, I got that cigarette smoker mentality out of my head when I had the pipe in my mouth. Huh. And that transitioned, you know, that, that changed me into a better pipe smoker. Um, I think it's, maybe it's the equivalent of somebody who does tequila shots and drinks beer and then switches over to wine. And not a lot of, not a lot of guzzling at the wine bar, is there? Not usually, no, <laughs> although I've seen people do it, uh, make no mistake. Um, but I see, I've never smelt, how, how can I put, I've never been a cigarette smoker to speak of. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in, when was it? Uh, when I lived in L.A. back in 73, maybe, um, and 72 and 73, um, I smoked a pack a day of of uh benson and hedges for a month and i woke up one day craving a cigarette and i thought nah i don't want to do this <laughs> so i just quit right on the spot and just stayed with pipes you know yeah you know and you want to talk about the difference in earth and or how the how the terroir affects uh the briar uh, one of these days, I want to go to the uh, to the Rhone Valley in France and just drink my way through the different elevations of oh, yeah. of the wines yeah, yeah, yeah. there. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's a, and there's a lot of different kinds: Chateau du Pop and Hermitage, and you know the even the uh, Cote de Rhones. Some yeah. of them can be exceptional. Um, but yeah, man. And don't forget, for me, it'd be Burgundy. I I wish my dream is always that I get a free pass to go through Burgundy and taste some of these wines that are literally, well, like in, like Romani Conti's thirty five hundred dollars for the newest vintages. <laughs> um, so you know who can afford that, right? Yeah, yeah. So so there, I I think we uh, I think we covered the uh, the question fairly well. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe we can move on well there you go uh you know i guess we we could have also spent some time talking about system pipes but uh, most of those are really designed to take the moisture out um or uh, even some of those longer you know some of those uh, falcon pipes with the radiator systems uh, but i don't think either neither fred nor i have a lot of experience with those so all right comments questions email me at brian at pipesmagazine.com and there was uh I guess uh, number one of <laughs> 20 more questions to go. Uh, I promise you some of the questions, we've pre-recorded some of them already, and some of them are shorter, some of them are longer. But that's uh, the first version. And we'll be back in just a minute. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste, and whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe, just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, We're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking pipes, 
in faithful service of the hobby. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Hope you enjoyed. There's a couple new ads there. Hope you caught those. Uh, one more new one coming, too. So try keeping it fresh for you. All right, for music, we're going back to Stevie Ray Vaughan. And Stevie Ray Vaughan's done some fun stuff in the past. And this is proof that this is what a real musician can do. A real musician can take something very simple and add layers to it and textures to it and pile on it. And this is Stevie Ray Vaughan doing Mary Had a Little Lamb. I bet that's a version of Mary Had a Little Lamb that you never thought you would hear. What's this? A letter for me. If you have a comment or question, you can email it directly to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com, or you can post it on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com. Or you can do the best thing ever, which is go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever the hell they're calling it this week, 
and leave a rating and a review. And we've got a bunch to get caught up on. So uh, Johnny Waken says, uh, look forward to every episode. Uh, five stars. Thank you for a very informative and entertaining show. Love all the tobacco reviews and discussions as well as the superb interviews. Well, thank you very much. And uh, Jay Everett calls the show the gold standard and says a pipe and tobacco podcast in radio show format. For those who enjoy the hobby, informative and entertaining with a diverse array of guests, the host is professional and on topic and the show moves at a good pace and his rugged masculinity really shines through even in audio only format. Um, I'd like to say thank you, Jay Everett, but I'm feeling a little awkward right now but um yeah rugged masculinity well here let me lower my voice and get really rugged head there you go rugged yeah well that's not exactly me um not as no no calluses on these hands but uh, thank you for the for the rating and the review and then the last one on itunes is uh Pete in SB says excellent entertainment and info great hosts and great host and guests and then he writes, I'm rather new to the hobby compared to many of you, but I jumped into the deep end. I work on pipes all day, restoring, making, and smoking them. I've been listening to the current ones while going through the back catalog. Fantastic guests, topics, and info, too. It's entertaining, and it is not one of those amateur hour podcasts. Uh, the host asks great questions and mixes it up enough so it stays fun and interesting. It's not 100% deep pipe chat the entire time. I'm listening now while smoking some full Virginia Flake and an old Savinelli Bruna 123, working on an older K. Woody, uh, K. Woody DEF. Uh, oh, definitely recommended subscribing. Peter at radiantpipes.com. Peter, thank you very much. Uh, welcome to the hobby, and uh, Peter's doing it right. He's listening to the current shows while getting caught up on the back catalog. Uh, in fact, I heard from a couple of listeners who said, you know, every once in a while they get in the mood now, and since the catalog's so deep, they'll get in the mood for a specific person who's been on a couple times. They'll go back and listen to those shows in a row, or they'll go back and listen to uh, pipe makers, or, yeah, so lots of ways to listen to the show. You can go back and, I don't know, be better if you could listen without the host on there. Uh, but that wouldn't be possible. And then I would be sad. But I'd still be rugged and masculine. <laughs> anyway. And uh, it's been two weeks since I've sat down here to record. So going back two weeks ago to the show with uh, Shannon and Phil from Missouri Meersham. Uh, Dino writes, an absolutely fascinating and fun show. I really enjoyed the conversation with Lord Morgan and Shannon. It is heartening to know that a truly American company, Missouri Meersham, will continue the production of Old Dominion pipes. Both of these great smoking pipes are in my rotation. I always get a kick out of talking with Phil, Pat, and Shannon at our Chicago shows over the years. Uh, Dean Martin, nothing more needs to be said. With reference to your rant, amen. Thanks, Dino. Dino, you're welcome. Yeah, I, I love hanging out with Pat. She's fun. Uh, and then Casey Ghost says, a really good show. I really enjoyed the section on the guy who had two collections of pipes. First was a collection of Kamoy's pipes. I thought the comment you had on collections was very good. He had a very nice collection of Kamoy's. He put it together over time and didn't spend a ton of money on pipes. Second was his daily pipes. This, was, this really wasn't a collection in any sense of the word, but rather a random assortment of pipes that he really liked smoking. Yeah. 
Uh, the interview with Phil Morgan and his daughter Shannon was really good. Phil should be proud of his work with the brand. Since he took over the brand, it has a new life and is a totally vigorous brand. Now that he's retiring, Shannon will be a very good manager of the brand. I look forward to seeing what she comes up with. I love the, mu love the music. Dino is just great at anything he does. Uh, and Dan's talking about Dean Martin, not Dino, the not, not our Dino. Uh, and then he says, your rant was spot on. It drives me crazy when people misuse the English language. My pet peeve of them is the, <laughs> the misuse of the word unique. When you use this word, remember, it means there is only one thing of its kind. People are constantly using it when they shouldn't be. Right. Exactly. Something can is unique and historic. There are no grades of unique or historic. It can't be extremely historic. It can be more impactful, but it is either historic and unique. All right, and uh, going back to last week's show with John Brandt, uh, Dino says, a totally entertaining and informative episode. As usual, Jeff's comments about the taste of briar from a particular country made me laugh. Thinking about pipe connoisseurs doing a spit take or choking on the tobacco in their artisan farmed Corsican briar, which actually might be from Spain or France. I salute John for his great success in almost single-handedly keeping an historic and culturally significant marquee in business. I'm quite a fan of some of his blends, including number 524 and number 515. Uh, stand by the Newsboys was excellent. The music and performance underline the powerful concept of standing up for what you believe. It's not just a Christian song, but one of universal application. And thanks for going the extra mile for your listeners. Do you get travel credit for that mile? Dino? <laughs> no, I don't get travel credit for that mile. But that extra mile is dramatically more comfortable than an American Airlines seat because it's here in my desk chair. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, just to tell you, we did get home fine, but uh, two flights, uh, for, uh, there were two flights earlier that day that got canceled. We got home and all was good. Uh, and then finally, uh, Hawkeye Linus says, entertaining interview and John sounded just as real and as friendly as he does on the phone. Apparently, Jim Inks will have a review or reviews coming out soon of some new Wilkie blends. So I keep checking every day to see if they turn up anxious to see what is coming out. <laughs> and then uh, Jim went on to say that he did put up a couple of new ones. All right. Remember comments, questions, email me, Brian at pipes If you have any tobacco review suggestions, music suggestions, whatever, uh, possible guests, just drop me an email, Brian at pipes or you can post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page right there on pipesmagazine.com. And in just a moment, a uh, yeah, I'm on a mission and this rant's all about it. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Cowboy. Cowboy. Mm -hmm. 
I am on a mission, and here is my mission. My mission is to become the most annoying tobacco smoker on the planet to a certain company. Uh, and here's how the story goes. This past, uh, yeah, two weeks ago, we went to Disneyland for a couple of days. And now Disneyland, since they've reopened after COVID, has banned smoking on their entire property. Entire property. Got it? So if you smoke, you've got to go all the way out to the public sidewalks. You can't go out of the secured area. You can't go out of the parks you can't go in if you're staying in one of their hotels you can't walk to a designated smoking area on the hotel property because there isn't one you have to go out to the city sidewalks where there is no ashtrays so while we were there for two days i wanted to take my midday pipe break with a cup of coffee i had to spend 15 minutes to walk from where i was in the park go out the exit of the park go out through the secured entrance go all the way out to the busy street and then I was told I needed to go beyond this sign that designated the entrance of the Disney property where there were two homeless people that were one was playing music and the other one was begging and I told the security guard finally I said look I'm just gonna stand here 15 feet away from him and that's what that's that's where I'm gonna stand uh, which was five feet behind their sign their precious little sign so here's what I'm doing and here's what I'm asking all of you to do all right are you ready Go to the Disneyland.com website and go to the WaltDisneyWorld.com website and go to their comments section and tell them that you are not going to their parks until they treat smokers as equal humans and are inclusive. And the key is to provide a comfortable smoking area for us while we are there. If they don't do that, we're not going back. All right, that's what I want you to do. And I'm going to keep reminding you through the weeks as we go on with this because I'm going to email them once a week. I'm going to write letters to them once a week. And I'm just going to become the most annoying smoker that they know of. All right, so please go to their website, register your complaint, uh, Walt Disney World, Disneyland, so on and so on. All right, got it? Thank you very much. <laughs> it's not going to help much, but I'm just going to become annoying to them. All right, so thank you to Fred for joining me. Hope you enjoyed that. Thank you all for tuning in, and until next time. clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather happy The only thing rugged about this guy is how he looks in the morning before he's had coffee. <laughs>